is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus tells these parables all the time throughout the New Testament. And there's a parable that, that we would tell in Thailand to bridge people to the gospel. Once I tell it to you, I think you'll understand it. But the, the parable is about two brothers. The eldest brother was a just and righteous man. The younger brother was a reckless man. He only cared for himself. He only cared for whatever pleasure was his choice at the time. Whether it be alcohol, women, or money, he did whatever pleased him, not caring about anyone else or anything else. He got into an argument one day with a man as he was drinking too much, and he ended up killing the man. Now, the younger brother was thrown into the jail, and he was about to appear before the judge, and the doors opened as he walked through the door to appear the judge. And you know who the judge was? It was his older, just, right brother as the judge. And he thought to himself, my brother loves me. He, he will just let me go. I have no issue here. He'll just let me off scot-free. But the older brother was a good and just judge. When it came time for the verdict, the older brother said, you've taken someone's life. You must pay the just punishment, which is death. And as they're taken away, the younger brother into the prison cell, he began to burn with anger the older brother went to visit him. He didn't want to speak to him. He said, you don't care about me. You don't love me. The brother said, yes, I do. I have a plan for your life. Switch clothes and they will think that you're me. So they swapped clothes and the younger brother walked out of the jail free. All night he, he celebrated his freedom. The morning arose in which he was supposed to be executed he began to count down the, the numbers until he was to be free and instead of being executed. And he got to three, two, one. He began to yell, free. And yet he heard a gunshot in the distance. He went to the top of the hill to look over to see who had been executed. It was supposed to be him. And he saw his older brother who had taken his place. The righteous taking the place of the unrighteous. You see, this, this little short story tells us a little bit about the gospel message that Christ died in our place. The word of God says the wages of sin is death and yet the grace of God, the love of God, saved us. You see, no doubt the younger brother's life was changed by the act of grace. All he can do is tell about the love that was shown him. And in the same way, Christ in this scripture is challenging us now that we live to tell his story. We live to tell about His grace and mercy because of the gospel in Christ laying down His life for us. 
This is multiplication of image bearers of Christ. To entrust people with the word of God, the gospel, to tell God's story with others. Jesus in my place. When the gospel is on the forefront of our minds, all we can do is tell it to other people. Look at verse 1 with me. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is where we get point number one this morning. And this is important for us to understand. The grace of God empowers the church to live out the gospel. The grace of God empowers us to live out the gospel. We cannot live for Christ. We cannot tell his message apart from God empowering us to do that. It will not happen. You see, in some translations here, the word then, you then, is translated therefore, referring back to Paul, what Paul has already said in chapter 1, calling Timothy to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to represent Christ in a manner that he is not ashamed. You see, even some who were with Paul had deserted him because of some of the trials and the suffering that comes with sharing the gospel, that comes with being a gospel-centered Christian. In verse 15, look at with me in chapter 1. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. You can try and say that better than me. I don't know if I can say that good or not, but that is some had deserted Paul. And so he's telling Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't give up, young Timothy. Be strengthened by God. Timothy, be strong. You know, when I was, a, I was, uh, I was young and I... I was really into sports, and, and I had different, different coaches, all, all kinds of different coaches, some good and some not so good, right? Everybody, everybody's seen a, a good coach and, and a not so good coach. You usually had um, the ones that knew a lot about the game. They had a, a great demeanor and were encouraging. And, and when something went wrong, they tried to help fis, fix it using instructive teaching. Stay in front of your man by not crossing over your feet when you're playing defense, right? Keep your shoulder down when you're swinging the bat. Instruction that is good and encouraging. But you've all seen uh, the coaches that didn't know a whole lot, and they just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Stay in front of your man. Don't strike out. Don't get beat. Put it in the basket, right? You're like, I don't know how, what am I supposed to do? And you could take this verse if you don't read it correctly or read it carefully as Paul saying, young Timothy, just be strong. Get in the game, as we'll see in a minute. Get in the, the battle. Get in the game. Be a hard-working farmer, 
But that's not what he's saying at all. Get this, church. Paul is not just saying be a teacher of the gospel, fight like a soldier, get in the game like an athlete, work like a hardworking farmer. No, he tells us how to be strengthened. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. The word here, be strengthened or be empowered, is a present passive, and it means to keep on being empowered by the grace of God. You see, the grace of God is the undeserved favor of God. It is actually God's grace that empowers God's people to do the work of the ministry. The question that needs to be asked to us this morning is, are we empowered by the grace of God or something else? I need to ask that. Are we empowered by the grace of God? You see, the gospel encapsulates this grace of God. We as undeserving and enemies of God who are sinners by nature. And yet God loved us enough to die for us in our place. And that changes me. That changes you. That changes the church. The Holy Spirit then begins to lead to show God's grace and love so that I can love people with God's grace and love and not out of my own self. You see, the gospel is not be better, do better, do more, The gospel is trust in Christ and his goodness and his grace and be empowered by the grace that is in Christ. Let me just say this this morning. If you're tired and weary and feel that as if you are overworked in the kingdom of God, may we return and be refreshed and renewed and empowered by the great gospel of grace. Amen? Still with me? May we remind ourselves of the love of Christ, and that's where Paul is doing here with Timothy. What he's about to say is going to be difficult. He's going to tell him to get in the battle. He's going to tell him to get in the game. He's going to tell him to work the fields. But the basis for telling him that is not because it is his duty or because he should, but because the great grace of God that lavished so much upon him and upon me and upon you that we might be called children of God. All right, verse 1. That was verse 1. All right, we're going to go to verse 2. You ready? And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The gospel is meant to multiply. The gospel is meant to go forth. I need a, I need a couple of volunteers. I don't usually do this, but you've got to see this to understand it. So I need a couple of volunteers. 
probably from this section, young people. You're, 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 is this, is this nerve-wracking for you? Is this okay? Am I out of place here? All right, young people, I need some volunteers. We got some volunteers. Anybody? Priye, you, you gonna come? Let's go, let's go, big guy. All right, come on up, yeah. All right, come on, Coop. Give it up for these guys. They're, they're, they're putting their life on the line here. All right, Priye, you're gonna stand here. I need one more person. One more person. There you go. Okay. My man's right here. Here we go. Coop. This guy got baptized last week. Great job, man. All right. So verse 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul is speaking. What you have heard from me, let's just pretend like Priya's Paul, heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, so Priya's Paul, you, you're telling young Timothy, young Timothy, <laughs> what you have heard from me. No, 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 this is good. This is good. What you have heard from me entrust to reliable men who will be able to teach and train others. Get that? It's four generations of discipleship. This is what Paul is saying. What you have heard from me, the gospel in which I have shared with you, young Timothy, entrust to reliable men who will teach and train others also. All right, give it up for these guys. They, they, they showed it to you. Good job, guys. Young Timothy, that was good. The gospel is not meant to stop with you. It's not. It cannot stop with you. It's designed to multiply. You are in, to entrust the word of God, the gospel of God, this great message to reliable or trustworthy men who can teach and train others. See, sometimes we get, we get this picture that the gospel is for me. It is for you, but you are to teach and train others also. It's meant to multiply. It's meant to go forward. Guess what? When you're looking for someone to go and disciple, you're not looking for the most knowledgeable person. You're not looking for the best-looking person. You're not looking for the most capable person. God desires for someone to be what? faithful, reliable, someone who shows up, someone that takes what is given to them and responds with obedience to Christ. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. These people are strengthened by the grace of God to live out the gospel, not in their strength, and then t to tell it to somebody else. I, I remember um, my father, he owned a restaurant in, in, in Oklahoma City. Some of you guys may have been. It's called, it was called Cowboy Bob's. It was, it was a late 90s uh, area, and it was a great place. But for some reason, the Lord didn't work it out for it to work financially. So we had to close it down. 
But I was, I remember when, when times got tough in our family, I was in elementary school and my dad one day said, you know, we're making budget cuts, son, and um, so you're going to go outside, and you're going to talk to the lawn care guy, and while you talk to him, learn what you're supposed to do, because next week you're, you're it, right? And so, so I'm, I'm out there, having never really cut the line in, in elementary school, never really cut the lawn, never really done it much with it. And this guy is trying to teach me how to, how to push this mower, how to start the mower, how to, how, to, how to edge the grass, how to weed eat. And guess what? He was teaching me so that I could do it the next week, right? The purpose was for me to go and do the work. It wasn't so that I could learn about it, come to some great knowledge, but to put it into practice. And that's what Paul's saying here. Entrust the gospel to reliable or faithful men who will be able to teach others. The gospel is meant to multiply. Let's go to verse 3. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul gives us some illustrations here of what it means to live out the Christian life, to be a disciple of Christ, to be a disciple maker of Christ. This is point number three. The church must engage in the battle for souls. The church, the people of God, must engage in the battle for souls. The illustrations Paul used for Christians to engage are familiar to us even today. Some of you have been soldiers who have fought for our country. And you know what it means to engage in the battle. You know what it means to sacrifice for someone else And we're grateful and thankful for you, by the way. And Paul says, be the good soldier. And guess what? The good soldier lays his life on the line for the sake of others. He is not concerned with himself, but shares in the suffering. And guess what? When you are a Christ follower who is pushing back darkness and engaging in the battle, you will share in the suffering. Paul has been imprisoned. He's been beaten. He's been stoned almost to death, shipwrecked. He's been hungry. He's been cold. He's been destitute. And now he's in chains, as we'll see in a minute. All for the sake of the gospel to go forth and multiply. Many of you have given up a lot for the sake of the gospel. 
financially, your time, maybe friendships. But you engage in the battle, there will be suffering. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It doesn't say might be persecuted. It says will be persecuted. Now, our persecution is not like many places in the world, not like Saudi Arabia or Sudan or Syria, where if you become a Christian, you risk losing your life or your family's life for the name of Christ. But engaging the battle will cost. Some of you understand this because you have suffered for the name of Christ, whether it be in your school as a young person standing up for Christ, whether it be in your family who doesn't believe in Jesus, whether it be going to a a foreign country and be rejected, whether it be sharing the gospel with your neighbor and be rejected for Christ's namesake. It may cost you time. It may cost you money. It may be uncomfortable. It may make you lose friends. And yet God is calling us to put on the armor of Christ and engage in the strength of his might into the battle for his glory and his namesake. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The battle is being waged, whether we can see it or not, for 23rd Street. For your neighborhood. For your school. Satan wants nothing more to have people not know the one true God, and not worship Him. And Christ is saying, I want you to go to the front line. I want you to share the gospel. I want you to multiply followers of Jesus. Verse 4, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You see, these soldiers that are on the front line, they're focused. They're not entangled with the pursuits of the world. They are first and foremost concerned with the taking the gospel to their own home first, to their children, to their neighbors, to their co-workers, and pushing back the darkness through the power of Christ in them. Guess what? The gospel, we share hope. We share joy. We share grace. We share forgiveness. We have the good news message. It's incredible. Incredible. The next idea that Paul talks about is an athlete. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul uses this athletic terms a lot throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. You see, if you go to the battle and you engage in the battle for the gospel, but you're disqualified morally, Or in your own life, you've missed 
the purpose, because it's all for the glory of God. So disciplining yourself to be in the game, to get off the bench and not only get in the game, but the, then disciplining yourself to understand the word of God, to have it flow through you, to spend time with the Lord so that his word can change your heart and your mind, convict your heart and mind. And then he gives the illustration of the hard-working farmer. In verse 6, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Someone who is out in the fields planting the seed. He is doing the work of the ministry. And he gets to share in the fruit of the labor. Guess what? God allows weak and imperfect people to carry his message to others. And guess what? When we're used by God as a vessel, we get an opportunity to see God move. And when people's lives are changed and his, his work begins to formulate their life and their heart, we get to see that and be a part of it. We get to be those first people who share in the fruit of the ministry of what God is doing. And guess what? That brings joy. It does. Brother who was up here earlier was baptized last week. We get to share in that joy as a church, right? Because of some of the hard work that you people have put in into this man's life. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Verse 7 first, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It is the gospel in which transforms us to be the teacher, to be the soldier, to be the athlete, to be the farmer, to do the work of the ministry. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul is, Paul is sharing his heart with young Timothy. Be a gospel-centered Christian. Not a self-centered Christian. A gospel-centered Christian. Focused on those who will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the elect. Because this great sound.